Welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work work. I'm Rhonda Brighton-Hall, CEO and co-founder of MOI, and I'm delighted today to be joined for a very difficult conversation on a very difficult topic by two very thoughtful people. Fungai Matsiwa, welcome. Thank you. And Jess Pollard, welcome. Hello, and it's great to be back on the podcast. It's been a little while, eh? It's been a little while. So... The conversation, now that I've sort of given it that start to say it's a hard conversation, we're going to talk about uncancelling the conversation, but with caution, because this is a topic covered in landmines, so you've really got to tread carefully into that. But having said that, it is an important one. So how do we share opinions? How do we join a conversation? How do we open a conversation, an important one? How do we learn from each other? These are all things that come about when you throw yourself into conversations that are really hard. And so the ones where we all agree and we applaud each other's views because they're so right are very easy, but they don't teach us a lot. So these ones where we have to go, actually, I don't understand that, I don't agree with you, I'd like to understand more, things like that, are actually much more important. So why do we need to talk about it? At the moment, we're in this environment where people are increasingly fearful about open conversations. And we've had a number of conversations here where... It's a really good conversation. People have got questions, but they feel like they're on eggshells. And so they also step back. And so how do you have a conversation without silencing or excluding others? For some of us, we're sort of looking at it as, I want to hear other people's voices, but I've also got an opinion and I'd like to try it out. So you need to find some safe spaces to do that too. So the warning we should put out front is that we don't have the answers, that this is actually hard. The intent is more to move into this sticky difficult conversation with bravery curiosity hopefully share some ideas that might work might teach us different ways acknowledging this trepidation a lot of landmines a lot of eggshells but the question fundamentally is how do we build a bridge from not understanding each other to having a conversation fragile as it is that could help us understand each other so how do we help people understand and enter a conversation including with those who disagree. So the current situation is we've got a number of topics that are really tough. Like we all saw a week and a half ago, Australia Day. First of all, Australia Day is one of those conversations. But then <laughs> on Australia Day, we had Grace Tame and the Prime Minister who, you know, there's not a lot of respect sitting there between both parties. We've got the anti-vax rallies in Canberra, which is another whole volatile conversation. We've got anti-government groups merging in with anti-vaxxers, versing with libertarians who don't believe that there should be any government, so they're all hanging out together. Feminism, um, is gender enough or if you're not a woman of colour, then therefore you shouldn't speak because you're too white? And that's always a difficult conversation because it's one of those ones where we already know that it takes all our voices and the voices of men, let alone just women, to actually move the agenda forward. And then we've got the power of someone who can speak with lived experience, like Dylan Alcott, and we saw that in Australia Day as well as he got Australian of the Year. And his voice as an advocate and ambassador for disability is so fantastic. And could someone without disability have done that? Would we have listened? Would we have really heard what he was saying? With all of that, we sort of got to this point where we started talking about a zero-sum game. So if I get one opportunity, one space on the game, do you lose a space? Or if I add something in and you add something in, does that make one plus one equals three? And more of that idea when we're trying to create social change that we're creating choir, that we need everybody's voices, albeit they won't be perfectly in tune, but they could at least make a resounding sound together that people would hear and listen to. So let's start with the philosophical after that long introduction. Are all the voices worthy of being heard? All voices are worthy of speaking up 
and expressing like whatever your opinion is. Because at the end of the day, I don't think there can be any particular person that can be some sort of moral adjudicator to, to depict who can say what and who cannot say anything. But being heard then, I think that's a little bit of a different element because not every opinion is as valuable to the conversation. So I think in that sense, and I guess that's what the murky water, right? Then deciding whose voice should then be heard on mm. any particular issue. Mm. So if all voices can speak, mm. but we're only going to listen to some, is that yeah. our choice who we listen to or does someone need to shut down voices that they don't want to listen to? I guess that's what we're coming at, isn't it? Yeah, I think it should be more collaborative, right? In the, in the sense of, because if, if we're going to take in all, all uh, I guess, all voices, when people speak up and express their opinions, when we then come to actually trying to evaluate to figure out who actually has something worth bringing to the table, I think that's where we all have to then come together and be represented. I guess if it's metaphorically a, a table where people are sitting, I think it has to be a table that has people that are representative of that community. And that way it sort of brings a balanced judgment in some sense. Yeah, so it would be hard for Jess and I to be the voices discussing being of colour. Exactly. Comparative to your voice, which exactly. is probably much more valuable <laughs> on that agenda. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So is it valuable then to have more people in the conversation or we just have the person of colour speak and no one else needs to, to use that example again? I think this is one of the really interesting predicaments of right now in that there are two sides to this debate that I totally agree with. On one side, it's we do need to more deliberately curate the spaces that we have for voices that have traditionally been excluded. Yep. I like that. Whether that's women, whether that's Netflix making decisions about content because representation, voices, the ability to have your say has traditionally not been given to so many people. So that is so important and that's a more active steering of who we listen to. But then at the same time, that all relies on mass participation. So one of the greatest enemies, I think, to social progress is the echo chamber. So if I just sit talking to people who agree with me about the same topic, how are we going to move forward? And I think in a sort of parallel world that I have lived and breathed for a long time is, say, animal rights. Um, one of the most interesting shifts I think we've seen in the last 10 years is the opening up of that world to mass participation. You've gone from what was sort of a mobilized minority and then those ideas were sort of started to grow but then they said in order to actually change the global conversation we need to find multiple and create multiple doorways into this conversation so that Tyson Agriculture can invest in vegan. You know, there can be someone who's doing flexitarian vegan once a week and they are just as accepted into that group as the person who's thinking about the bone in their toothpaste type thing. Like there's so <laughs> many different doorways now available and I think that is we need mass participation to create social change but we also need to deliberately curate the voices and the spaces so that they're moving the agenda forward in an authentic, lived way by that group in a chosen way. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Not easy. And I like what you said about the whole echo chambers part because to some sense we all hold possible truths to any matter right so i think it, it's important that you respect every other opinion that's on the table because you know you're only aware of your perspective and you're blind to the next 
And the only way you can know that you're actually blind to it is if you listen to another voice. So I think that's really important as well. It's interesting that feeling when you're in a conversation, though, and you can feel yourself physically disagree. And I think we all do this silently now in society. There'll be an opinion that's put to you that's progressive, that's different, and you'll feel your body actively kind of seize up to kind of defend that. And we've now come to a point where I would say the majority silence that disagreement. Is there examples where you think people are silently rejecting a new idea, which they wouldn't say out loud? And and obviously you can't say that all you I think it's it's become an unconscious, almost trained thing now for a lot of people. And they won't want to voice it because it's also not socially okay to say I disagree. Yeah. Mm. Because there's a right answer. Yeah. And so they'll in their head go, "Mm, I just disagree. Yeah. I'll just sit over here and no one will know that I disagree. Mm. And then when I turn up at the polls, you'll see it. (laughs) Mm. That was interesting. Like I think the the big one with that was marriage equality, wasn't it? Mm. As people who, you know, I, I would have assumed from the bubbles that I was hanging around in that that vote would have been 95%. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when you saw the vote, you're going, well, I'm glad that it was passed, but wow, there's an awful lot of Australians who disagreed with that vote, which was amazing. So obviously they were silent for a lot of it. Or, or not everybody, some people were very loud. And part of it is you also <laughs> can disagree <laughs> on agendas you agree with. I had an interesting example. I was walking through the women's marches in New York. And I saw this young girl wearing a very popular T-shirt, which said, the future is female. That's a popular slogan. And I am a feminist. I believe in women's rights. But for me, the future is not female. The future is equalizing the ballot so that we have equal opportunity to sit alongside everybody else. The future is not just female. Yeah. But socially, yeah, that's not an opinion that I'd usually... I wouldn't go up to that girl and say, look, but look sorry, but yeah... <laughs> I mean, just edit a little bit of the text and we'll be out of here. But it is that interesting example of we all also have different ideas about how to create change. It's, and to that point of creating change, because a lot of these conversations are about creating change. And so if you take the one at the moment that says uh, enough about women, like stop it already, we need to talk about more diverse women and we need to talk about more diversity away from women. And so we're talking about a situation where women now make up one in five of the leadership roles, despite making up 55% of the graduates that come out of universities. So that's pretty amazing that, that we've been more of the graduates for so long and we're still nowhere near, like we're a fifth of the senior roles. But if you say, well, that's enough, you've got a fifth, so you can be quiet now because we've got even less than a fifth and we need to catch up. Or do you try and take some of the voice of the 80? And in the 80, there's a whole bunch of diversity too. So is there a a right way to silence a voice to make more space for others? Or can we make the conversations bigger so that more people can join them? I think it depends on that mass participation question. But also there is a sort of limit to our listening capacity and who holds power in terms of the communication channels that actually reach us. Yeah. So there is a sort of limited group of spots at that table. So what moral responsibility do we have? Yeah. And I think also, like, we haven't tried to collaborate as different minority groups. And I have seen some of them that there's crossovers as well. But then, so as opposed to us then having, you know, five separate groups who are competing for roughly the same things, I think collaboration could potentially be a a better approach at it. And within that, it just encourages cohesion as well, right? So now it doesn't necessarily feel as if I'm only fighting for 
the rights of black people, but I also understand what issues women face within the workforce. And then, so I think within that, it makes for a, a better experience, like if we're all trying to chase for equality. And help each mm. other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great voice. Certainly that's that idea of creating a choir mm. isn't a choir with one song. It's a choir with many songs that can move and listen to who else needs to be sung for. Yeah. And just to extend on the metaphor, Which it's working out. <laughs> what, this, what is the song? What is the song that sits at the intersection of all the points and that's really at the heart of the inclusion and belonging work that we do? Yeah. I think if we can use that transition, because there are some people and we would be amongst them, whose job it is to make these conversations accessible, possible, more voices in it than other people. Like that's part of what we do. And there's a lot of people in this field that you sort of, that's your job. Like you're in a team, how do I create a space where people can have these conversations? We know it's very fractious and terrifying, but how do we open it up? So what's ideas for that? How do we enter the conversation and open it up for other people? What, what are we looking for? I mean, the one that springs to my mind, and I'm thinking about multiple clients now, is authentic leadership. If you have leadership from the top that says, I don't need to get it right, but I'm going to try my best to do that. And I'm going to share who I am and why this actually matters to the work we do every day, to the people we serve. I think that sort of leader-led piece is really critical. Yeah. Um, when, when you see a leader that does that well too, like I'm a huge fan of Shelley Rays, I know she's a good mate of mine, but she's a fairly famous First Nations Australian, but her voice right through her whole work is always about taking away the eggshells so more people can join the conversation. So she has strong opinions, she has big opinions, she has great experience, but let's take the eggshells away so more people can talk and hear and listen and ask and all those things. To your point about one leader can make a massive difference to that. Is there something about intent? Yeah, I, I think like if everyone were to approach these conversations from a place of curiosity one and this willingness to, to learn and unlearn as well, I think that makes conversations a lot easier to have. And also, I think a big part is humility because, you know, on one side you've got a lot of people who think they know everything and... So they shut down any possibility of any dialogue, you know, and on the other part, you have people who have such massive egos and they don't want to accept the fact that they could possibly be wrong for seeing things in a, I guess, slightly limited perspective, right? So I think by allowing yourself to accept that you may be wrong, it makes it easier for you to listen to other people and understand what they're going through. Maybe find that way of saying someone like, I know you know lots, but there's even more. You might, like, yeah. <laughs> you might not be you're not wrong, but you could learn still, so that's sort of piece of it. It's sort of that moving from directives, and one of the challenges of this space is it's sat traditionally in compliance. So yeah. it's that, do it this way, do it that way. But, you know, you can't go into this any... This is the law. Yeah. This is how, you know, okay, I'm going to give you the 10 rules for inclusive leadership. It doesn't work like that. Whereas this is actually a whole mindset and way of coming at the world that actually requires, as Fungai said, this humility to say, I'm not an expert, but I'm going to keep getting better and I'm going to keep turning up. It's that sort of key principle growth mindset sitting at the bottom that if you have a leader that says, I don't know, but let's get better, then everyone can together. Mm. Be curious, open. Mm. There's this uh, podcast I was listening to 
<laughs> this guy said something that was really interesting. The amount of things that you don't know will always trump the amount of things that you know. No matter no matter at what stage in life, that will always be the case. So I think just knowing that simply just, you know, sort of grounds you a bit more. Yeah. I remember talking to someone too about, he was doing a diversity and inclusion course. And let's be frank, he just thought it was two hours out of his week that was a waste of his time. <laughs> like, you know, it's that side thing that HR did that I have no idea what I'm going to turn up and he's going to talk to me. And then I started painting a picture of how every aspect of his role related to being able to create inclusion for people who have traditionally not been included. Everything from working with community to every email he sends out to because he works in marketing. Every piece of communication he touches can be more and more accessible. It's part of every bit of his job. And even just that linking of inclusion, diversity being your business in your role and transforming your business and your team, I think can change businesses because then it becomes embedded across. But it takes the story and the time and the energy and the intention, as we were talking about before, to actually think clearly about that. I think that's a really mm. nice place. So this conversation, and particularly with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, is is tough. Like people go, ah, <laughs> oh, I've, I've just heard about people going to war and the plague and <laughs> things, other things. I'm really tired. And now someone's texting someone something stupid. I'm out. You know? And then we say, oh, by the way, can we talk about you learning about other people and can we create more space <laughs> and can you have less voice and, and all this. And we're like, oh, man, I'm really exhausted from it. So I think there's an exhaustion factor. But I really appreciate both of you, Fungi and Jess, for stepping into the conversation. And there, I think there's some great things in there that are very, very simple. So instead of how do I create this conversation so there's no fractures in it or no landmines, but actually how do I just go into it personally with an openness and authenticity, a curiosity, a humility, and then make a space that other people can be with me in the conversation in the same way. And so maybe just that is enough for a first step into this very tricky conversation rather than trying to solve it because we did say we didn't have a solution. So hopefully that's just some ideas. Is there anything you would throw into that in addition? as a final thought for people trying to navigate this space? My final thought, I think, is to be kind to yourself and others. These topics are complex. There's no right or wrong answer, but potentially stepping in with a sense of good intention for the other person can get you so far. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm. I think that's really true. That's the conversations you want to join, don't you? Mm. Someone's going, I'm open to what you want to add. Let's go. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you would add in some final thoughts for uh, I think the idea that, you know, like whatever strategies or like whatever beliefs that you have within this space, you should allow for them to be challenged. Otherwise, if not, then, you know, in some form or way, it, it becomes sort of like dogma because, you know, you already have like this stenciled approach to it and no one else can can poke at it. And I don't think that's, that's the way to go about it. I, I think that's a great point because these agendas are all moving so even when you get it right and you learn everything there is to learn, there's new stuff being written, new ideas, new ways, new possibilities. Because we have never in the hundreds of years people have been trying to solve diversity and inclusion all over the world in every language in every country. No one solved it. So it is about 
okay, what we've been doing is one way. What else? What else? What else? Mm. So you, the whole conversation grows all the time. Mm. Thank you both so much for being part of the podcast. It is a tricky topic. Thank you. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I love the topic. I just, I'm terrified of it like everybody else. But, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. wish we could have for the listening audience how many hours we spent talking about this <laughs> off the podcast <laughs> before going on the podcast. <laughs> and, and in a very vulnerable way. Like it was very much people saying, hey, this is why I'm nervous of this conversation. So I'm uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. This is my strange view that I want to test, but I don't know where to put it. I think that was me. <laughs> that was definitely me. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. It is a really tricky topic, and we would really, particularly on this topic, which is such an important one for our shared future all over the world, is we'd really welcome hearing your thoughts, your experiences, successes, lessons, ideas mm-hmm. of navigating this topic, how to open up difficult conversations and allow respectful space even when people disagree. So we'd love to hear from people who are working in this space as well. Um, We'll be back in two weeks with the next podcast, but in the interim, thanks for being part of today. Uh, Please find us on www.mwah, making work absolutely human is what it stands for, on www.mwah.live or talk to us via personally at team at mwah.live. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.